Blog Talk Radio. Make your holiday list and check it twice with Mayor Johnson Gift-Giving Guide. Mayor Johnson is your special education super source, and with their gift guide, they've made it easy to shop three different ways, by price, category, or specific solution. The perfect gift is just a click away at mayorjohnson.com. And make sure to listen to the interview with Mayor Johnson with that tape last week with great tips and ideas for buying the perfect gift. Thank you for joining us this morning for a very special interview with Dr. Temple Grandin, Animals, Companions, and Careers. And now, Diane Kennedy, Rebecca Banks, and Dr. Temple Grandin. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. As Marianne said, we have a very special program today, and we are uh, excited to be talking about animals, a topic that is very near and dear to Dr. Temple Grandin because animals are a very important part of our social culture, and many of our 2E children have found a special connection with horses, dogs, and other companion animals. Temple Grandin herself discovered a personal connection early in her life, which later led to her incredible career as one of the foremost authorities in animal science. Temple returns as our guest today to help us understand the rich therapy that animals can provide as companions and how a personal interest and love for animals, both large or small, can develop into a rewarding career. Two of her most popular books on the subject have been written along with Katherine Johnson, and they are Animals in Translation and Animals Make Us Human. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Temple. Good morning, Dr. Grandin. It's great to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you here today. And we will start out um, the questions this morning if you could, um, since we're going to be talking about your favorite subject and what you've really built your life about, will you give us just a little bit of your early connection to animals and how that um, was different than your connection to people? Well, when I was in high school, I was absolutely infatuated with horses. That was my total life. I took care of the horse barn. I, you know, that was just my complete life, uh, getting uh, horses ready for showing and and uh, then later on, I went out to my aunt's ranch, and that got uh, cattle introduced. And I want to emphasize, you know, kids that are kind of quirky and different sometimes don't want to try new things. And when I was 15 and I had the chance to go out to my aunt's ranch, I didn't. I I, I was afraid to go. And mother goes, um, well, you could go for a week, and if you don't like it, you can come back. Well, she wasn't going to let me not go. And I went all <laughs> summer, and I absolutely loved it. Wonderful. And and you talked a little bit in your books about um, your love of horses. And I know in the movie about your life, the HBO movie, where um, that was given one of your privileges at school. Was that right? Well, yeah. And I was um, in, I got kicked out of ninth grade for throwing a book at a girl who teased me. And then when I got into boarding school, other people still teased me and I reacted with fists and they took horseback riding away for two weeks. And that's when I switched from anger to crying because I didn't want to lose um, lose horseback riding. I, I was still miserable with the teasing. I was, high school was the worst part of my life. And the only thing that saved me were the activities like horseback riding and the science lab because those activities were places where there was no teasing. The kids that were interested in those specialized things did not do the teasing. Right, and you enjoyed your time with the horses. 
Well, absolutely, I did. And, you know, the thing with um, kids with autism and animals is, you know, for some autistic kids, it's best buddies instantly. Some kids are kind of afraid of the dog at first, and then they warm up and really like it. And then there's some kids that don't, that don't like animals, and the reason for that is sensory. Like they're afraid the dog's going to bark and that's going to hurt their ears, or they don't like the feeling of the fur, or they don't like the smell of the dog. So animals are definitely... Um, really good for certain types of kids, but then there's some kids where where it's, uh, they don't like them and it's not going to work. Well, you're right. And, you know, uh, my son with Asperger's syndrome, when he was young, before we really had the diagnosis or understood, when he, and we didn't know, now we know, of course, new places were frightening to him, places he'd never been before. But I noticed when I would take him with me to maybe go pick up one of my other children from a friend's house, he wouldn't speak to the other children. Sometimes he wouldn't speak to the owner of the home, but he would immediately gravitate. If there was a pet, a dog, a cat, he would start petting the dog and the cat, and it really seemed to calm him down. Well, there are some kids where they just are best buddies with animals, and you know, I get asked all the time about service dogs, and it's the same thing. For some individuals, it's absolutely the best thing. And for another child, um, uh, their, their sensory problems are so great that, that uh, they're not going to like animals. And, and the problem is sensory. You know, you never know when the dog might bark, and that's going to hurt your ears. Right, right. Well, and um, another question I'd like to, to ask you about, if you can explain a little bit today, is you've written and talked a lot about um, one of the basic keys to understanding animal behavior is understanding their emotions. And something, in fact, um, that I noticed you wrote in Animals Make Us Human. If we get animal um, emotions right, we'll have fewer behavior problems. If you can um, elaborate a little bit on that and help us understand how many of our 2E spectrum kids can benefit really from the same understanding, getting their emotions understood so we understand where the behavior problems are coming from. Well, there's different emotional uh, systems in the subcortex of the brain, and they're basically the same in all mammals. And we discussed this in uh, Animals Make Us Human, and and um, a lot of this research is over in the neuroscience lit- literature. You know, it, isn't, it hasn't been in the veterinary literature. And basic emotions, you basically have fear. And a lot of kids on the autistic spectrum have a lot of problems with fear. But then you can get dogs where you get separation distress. And that's a separate emotional system. That's the home alone problem. And then you have seeking. Like you have some dogs that are active. They really want to chase the ball all the time. Other dogs are, you know, content to lay around. That's a seeking urge. Then, of course, you've got anger. Another emotional system is play. And then the mother-young nurturing behavior. And then, of course, sex. And these um, emotional systems work off different drivers located down the base of the brain. And if you sort of look at behavior and go, now, which emotional system is driving it? That that can um, that can definitely help you because uh, in dogs, for example, separation, distress, and fear are two separate systems. Right. And, um, you know, Temple, one of the reasons today for us, and, and you really helped me a lot too through the years, of course, I've read your explanations of, of animal behavior, and I personally have always been a dog person. Um, I think I may have noticed in one of your books, did you, um, were there golden retrievers in your home when you were young? Yeah, when we were young kids, um, we had golden retrievers up my, and then um, had a Siamese cat, um, okay. had a couple of Siamese cats, and 
and uh, and there was also a lot of dogs in the neighborhood. Of course, I grew up in the 50s, and all the dogs ran loose. They had a great time. They had no behavior problems. There were the problems that some dogs got hit by cars, but they actually had, I think, uh, less behavior problems because you didn't have all the separation distress from being um, home alone all day. Right. Well, I I myself have always had goldens. I've we um we did some breeding for a while, and it was a wonderful experience for our kids because it just taught them so much about biology. I when I had to homeschool my Asperger son for a little while, um, we that was one of our subjects where we learned about the whole cycle of biology, and you know we used the breeding as a way to kind of teach him. Uh, some of the science we made it a science project, but um, I I understand her behavior and I have become very. Um, I, I read where you said some animal people can almost read the emotions of their of their pets. They bond with them, and she's you know they they become sensitive to our our emotions. They pick up on it. Well, animals and can pick up things like, are you confident, are you sad, are you depressed? Animals definitely can pick up on that. Right. And something I noticed yesterday, and I, I hadn't seen that before, and my husband and I sometimes, we live in the country, and I like to keep the front door open. We've got windows, and she'll go to the windows, but she loves that door. We call it her television. She just sits and looks both directions all day long. She could sit there. And I read where you said that's a sense of freedom to them, to be able to visually see out. Well, yeah, and see, and then even with the prey species animals that hide, uh, you know, animals like deer and uh, that type of animal get behind bushes, but they want to be able to see out. They want to be able to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it made perfect sense to me why it's a good idea to keep the door open. It keeps her happy and very content. But um, the next question I'd like to ask you about that, about bonding with animals, is many of our kids share a special bond. Like I mentioned, my son, who is, very, like you, very calm and very connected with animals. Um, they share a unique relationship, a social relationship, sometimes better than they can relate to humans. And if you can help us understand what that human-animal relationship can offer our kids as a way of therapy, sometimes for social skills, communication, trust, being accepted, helping them, teach them to show affection. How can we use that therapy that, um, you know, whether we take them to an equine ranch where they can learn it or they have a pet, how will that help them with their social skills and things like that? Well, one of the things is you have a dog that can act as a social icebreaker. You know, people uh, think it's cool that you have a dog. Um, also, animal uh, body language is a bit more overt than people. You know, I was 50 years old and I finally figured out that people had all these secret little eye signals and I had read about that in Simon Baron Cohen's book. And, you know, the, the social signals that people have are, are more subtle than the ones that um, animals have. I mean, a dog with a whole butt wiggling, you know that that dog is happy. Tail between the legs, that dog is definitely not happy. It's much more obvious and uh, easier to read. Right. Well, and I know that um, I don't myself know a lot about horses, but as you mentioned, that that was one of the things that was comforting for you. And I did find it interesting. My son with Asperger's syndrome seemed to um, have so much fear about everything except animals. And we went to a birthday party once, which was at someone's farm, and there were horses everywhere, and that was the whole point of the party, to ride these horses. 
And I I actually was intimidated by horses. They're large to me. I'm unfamiliar with them. Well, he got right out of the car and started riding the horse. And before he got out, he said, you can get out, Mom. They won't hurt you. And he his explanation to me was that horses were just bigger dogs with um, bigger teeth and worse breath. Oh, okay. Well, but they do have some behaviors that are different than than dogs. And there's so, been a lot of um, kids on the spectrum that have been helped by riding. You know, you get the good bonding with the horse, but you also get rhythm and balancing. Because I've had a number of parents say to me that their child did their first words on a horse. And, you know, therapeutic riding is really um, a really good program. I was just recently up at um, a program that BLM does with prisoners. And one of the things they have the prisoners do is spend hours just, you know, grooming the horse and, and bonding with it. Because some of those guys, you know, led a tough life and, and they don't know how to bond and teaches them how to bond. I was also interested to hear that the horses thought the prisoners were the good guys. And, well, the guards wore Western outfits and they were the bad guys because uh, people wearing Western outfits had been involved in the roundups. And, and so cowboy hats were bad and the prisoners were the good guys. The guards didn't really like it when I said that. But animals will, will uh, tune in to, a, you know, okay, the prisoner clothes were very different, you know, white pants and, and a, and, a, and a colored shirt uh, looks totally different than Western clothes, and they learn that people wearing those clothes never did anything bad to them. Or mm-hmm. people wearing Western clothes had done some things bad to them. And the horses uh, differentiated. And they're, and they're keen to that kind of detail. They can... Yeah, absolutely, and they pick up on the sentry detail. Prison uniforms are the good guys, and people wearing Western outfits are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it was in one of your books where you talked about um, the cattle and how there was a uh, they were going from light to darkness, and that was making them not want to go in to the to the area they were supposed to be in. Was that right? They, yeah, they, they don't like the to difference. go into the dark. Like if you've got a vaccinating shoot inside a dark building on a sunny day, they won't go in. And about the only way you're going to get them in is you've got to rip some of the steel off the side of the building and let in natural daylight. Now at night you can light it up with some lights to attract them in at night. That will work at night, but that's not going to work in a, in a sunny day because there's no reasonable lights you can buy that can light it up like a, like a sunny day. If you're on indoor facilities, then you can just put a light on the entrance of a chute, and that will tend to attract them in. I mean, cattle are very controlled by their vision. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times I think that it sounds like a simple thing, but it's something that's overlooked because people aren't understanding how much detail the animal can actually Animals perceive. are sensory-based thinkers. I get asked all the time, well, how does an animal think? Well, an animal's got to store its memories as pictures, as auditory, uh, little auditory sounds, um, smell whiffs, touch sensations. Its, it's, its memories are all going to be sensory-based. Now, human beings also have sensory-based memories, but they tend to get kind of covered up with language. And well, you know, and that's interesting. And I don't know if this is a sensory thing, but as you mentioned it, I I think of again our dog Angel, and she's very well behaved. She doesn't get into trouble, doesn't disturb things in her home. She's she's trained, she's housebroke, but she's got one problem, and it it makes me wonder if it's because of a strong scent, um, people's scent. She if we have I had company last weekend, and she will find socks of people. Um, they were in a in a bag, actually. She dug them out. She put her dirty clothes in a bag, and she just um, had them up, up kind of high. She found the socks. 
and she'll take them and kind of hoard them in, in her area. Well, the stocks are going to have a person sent on them really strongly. That's what I thought. And so, and the socks like would probably have a stronger scent than maybe a jacket would have. Uh huh. And my son, when he went away to college, and she was missing him, she'd go to the door, she'd hear a car that sounded like his, and she would just kind of sit there. You could tell she was very lonesome. She really missed him. Well, he obviously, um, being a teenager, there were some clothes and things that he had left, gotten lost way under his bed. Well, she. I looked, and she had found these socks. She brought them all out. She piled them up, all the clothes and especially the socks, and she laid on top of them. And it was as if that was her comfort because she could get his scent and she was missing him. Yeah, that's right. And I've also heard of things where dogs will also sometimes chew up things that the owners um, have handled a lot. I've had people say to me, why did the dog eat up my best CD, the one I really like? Well, that's because you've handled that CD a whole lot. That's the reason why you chewed up your favorite CD mm. and not the one you never touched. I see. Well, um, moving along here to our, our final question um, for you today is developing talents, passions, and special interest into careers is something you strongly advocate. You've written yeah. books on it. And uh, if you could give us some examples of careers in animal-related fields that our children may pursue, can offer advice of how they find mentors or resources like 4-H, FFA, how well, do they get 4-H started? 4-H and FFA, we need to be getting kids into activities like 4-H and FFA because the only places where I was not teased was in the specialized activities like the horseback riding and the science lab. Everywhere else I was teased. and. And some kids' animals are just the perfect thing. You know, if there's a dairy around, they ought to be, you know, working, uh, feeding the calves. Uh, we need to start getting middle schoolers learning work skills. I mean, I, when I was 15, I was uh, taking care of the horse barn, cleaning the stalls every day. And I'm seeing too many kids not learning work skills. We also need to get work in the area of strength. Like, I'm a visual thinker. So I became a designer. And there's a whole field called industrial design. You see, like when you design something like the iPhone, when Steve Jobs uh, designed the iPad and the iPhone, he was the artist that made the user interface. The engineers have to make the insides of the phone. And then the um, engineering mind, those are the mathematics minds. Those are the people that are going to be into computer programming and into um, uh, uh, engineering and that sort of stuff. And then you've got people that are word minds. You know, we need to be working a lot more on how we're going to get people employed. In fact, I've got a new book coming out in May. It's going to be called The Autistic Brain, and I discuss, you know, different employment for different types of minds. I also discuss that in my book, um, Developing Talents. But I'm seeing too many smart kids graduating from college, and they can't hold a job because they haven't learned to be on time, do what the boss tells you. You know, they there's um, uh, haven't just haven't learned any work skills, and that needs to start in middle school. I mean, if there were paper routes around, boy, I'd put all these kids on paper routes. And you know what's a perfect thing to replace the paper route today? How about walking people's dogs? That'd be a great job for a middle schooler. And you've got to walk them every single day, and you've got to make sure they don't get away and get hurt. Um, teach those work skills. Right. And maybe volunteer, maybe um, kids could volunteer for, I know here in Kentucky we have several equine therapy ranches. Of course, Kentucky's big with horses. Maybe that's something they could call the camp and see if there could be a volunteer well, job. Well, volunteer work definitely, definitely counts. Um, you know, other things they could do is work in the farmer's market. Um, 
you know, there's various computer things they could do, you know, maintain a church website. Um, there's all kinds of things, you know, that they could do. And um, But I'm seeing too many uh, kids on the spectrum, they get on the spectrum, they kind of get a handicap mentality, and they haven't learned any work skills. And, you know, you know, you just got to get up in the morning, you got to get there and be on time, and you got to do it. Right. Well, Temple, um, we did have one question today that I wanted to ask you about, and I know it's a subject and I have seen some controversy about it. I know I've mentioned to you before, I have a niece who's exactly one of these kids we're talking about. She was in uh, 4-H and FFA. She uh, had animals. She showed at the fair every year, taught her wonderful skills. She ended up getting a master's in animal science, and she works in, in for the Michigan Farm Bureau Agriculture Department. And what does she do for the Michigan Farm Bureau? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I know she goes out to the farms and she does assessments, and I believe she she works mostly with the swine. With um, in the that's what her her uh, master's is in swine nutrition. Good. So I I think she helps counsel them with that. Okay, so but it's I, kind of like an extension agent, except she works with yes. Farm Bureau. You know, yes. that's that that would be a perfect job for her. And right. And uh, you've got to have you know since you got to go out and visit all those farms, you've got to have some social skills. And you know if the farmer's doing something wrong, you can't call him a stupid idiot. I mean, right. one thing I learned to do is if you got to tell something somebody's somebody's wrong, I like to tell them some stuff they're doing right first. Then I tell them some stuff that's wrong, and then finish up on telling them about some stuff that's right. Absolutely. Well, and I know she this helped her in public speaking. She had to deliver speeches about um, the things she did at the fair, and I know she her wall was just lined with she had national awards through the FFA, so it became a really a source of accomplishment for her. Well, that's right, and we need to be getting kids into all of these shared activities. You know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. There's a Lego Mindstorms clubs where the kids build computers. Um, there's all you know. There's there's choir. There's band. There's art. There's mathematics clubs, writing clubs, the school newspaper, the school play. We need to be getting kids involved in these activities where there's a shared interest, and then you're going to get the socialization. Right. Right. Well, and she's very good at it, and it, it's like you had made it. Um, it had made it a career for her, but she had a question for you today, okay. Temple, being that she works in the field, and I told her I was going to be uh, speaking on this interview today, so um, she couldn't call in because she was working today, training in the field, but she said she has a concern, a growing concern, about some of these anti-animal um, activist groups who don't understand mo- modern farming, and she said she has the highest utmost respect for you and the systems you've designed to humanely handle animals. And she said, how do we, how do, as a modern farmer and people in the field, how do they handle um, some of this public perception that's going on that doesn't understand farming and is, you know, this animal cruelty thing? What farming's got to do is clean up their house and then show what they do. You know, I mean, I have a video up on YouTube right now. It's called a Temple Grandin Beef uh, Plant Video Tour. shows how a modern slaughter plant works. We've got to show what we do. And otherwise, you've got activist groups out there that want to show that everything's bad. Um, you, know, we, you know, we need to show how pig farm works. We need to be putting more and more videos up, uh, you know, educating people. Um, I've worked for years with McDonald's on the animal welfare audits. 
And the thing that would frustrate me is a lot of people didn't know about it. I've got a lot of things up on the Internet. Um, you know, I've written my books. Um, you know, farmers have not been good about explaining to the public what they're doing. See, the problem is people kind of get too kind of locked inside the box. And and I'm in kind of a position where I work in the farming field, but then I'm, you know, got my autism books and my autism meetings, and then I'm, I got family that lives back east, so I'm kind of moving back and forth between the, the different worlds. And you've got people now that just don't understand anything about farming. And what we need to be doing is opening up the door electronically. And there's some places doing a really good job with this. There's Fair Oaks Farm in Illinois. is a big dairy. People can go and visit. They're going to be building Pig Adventure, which is going to be a pig farm that people can go visit. Mm. Uh, we need to be putting more and more videos up on the Internet. I'm at the point right now where I'd like to just put video cameras in and stream it out to, to a farm tour web pages. Oh, that's a great idea. Diane, hi, everybody. Yes. It's Marianne, Marianne Russo. Um, great interview. We have um, a few questions um, that I'm getting online. Okay. Okay. Um, but I also wanted to just mention that my daughter volunteered at a, a horse camp for children with uh, special needs. And um, I can tell you that the camaraderie that is built between the volunteers is just incredible. And um, it really does teach compassion, and the, the relationship that's built between the animals and the children and the volunteers is really amazing. Well, that's great. What are some of your questions? Um, okay, we have Catherine um, on Twitter, and one of her questions actually is about she has a reading comprehension disability, and she wanted to know if you have any of your books on audio for people that have difficulty yes. reading. Yes, I do. Thinking in Pictures is on audio. Uh, animals in Translation and Animals Make Us Human are available in audiobook. And then uh, then I've got my, one of my main autism books, The Way I See It. It is available on Kindle. Most of my books are available on the, on the Kindle. Uh, um, but those are the three, Animals Make Us Human, Animals in Translation, and Thinking in Pictures are available as audiobooks. Okay, and I have another question. Um, this woman who says that when she watched the movie about your life, the HBO movie, that she really identified herself. She found a lot of similarities. However, her diagnosis is ADHD. So, Diane, you're going to love this question. She wants to know how similar are ADHD and autism? Oh, that on the mild end of the spectrum, there's a lot of crossover between ADHD and autism, especially on the mild end of the spectrum. You see, the problem with diagnosis, uh, and that's getting in a real controversial subject that we probably won't have time to discuss uh, on this right. interview, mm -hmm. um, it's a behavioral profile. It's not a precise diagnosis like diagnosing exactly. tuberculosis, where you either have it or you don't. Right. It's different explanations, and, and Temple's exactly right. What we need to look at is the symptoms we're dealing with, not get hung up in the labels, because based on, we'll have another episode on that, but based on the current uh, reshuffling of the diagnoses, those are labels. We need to look at the symptoms, and these symptoms these kids share are, are so similar, that's what we need to concentrate on. And what was the other question you said you had? Those are the two that she had. Oh, so we've got all the questions done? I think Wonderful. so. Wonderful. Okay. And Temple, um, on that, and we don't have time to get into that today, but real quick, that was the other thing I did want to ask you since someone brought that up and we talk about that. The recent vote, the autism community is all going crazy as we, you know, find out that we may be getting rid of Asperger's syndrome. Well, what are some of the things people can do to, to combat that fear? Well, they, uh, let's look at what's actually going to happen. I read a big research study on the PDD-NOS. In other words, if you're, la if you're labeled PDD-NOS, 
uh, would you be kicked off the autism spectrum? And there was a big study done with a bunch of families, like several thousand families, it's looking like around 7 to 8% would probably be uh, excluded on the PDD NOS. But I read in the New York Times uh, you know, now they've taken down, on, unfortunately, the, uh, the Psychiatric Association has taken down all the web page stuff, so we can't look at that now, that they're going to put kind of a disclaimer in that people that are already diagnosed with Asperger's would keep their diagnosis and the guideline would only apply to future cases. That's according to the New York Times. I have not read that in the in the DSM because they've taken their stuff down. Right. Well, it's something I think we'll have a future episode, and maybe we'll have you back as we dig into that, as we find out more about exactly what's going to be happening. And with well, they're going to publish the, what, what they've done. I they, they, They've taken down the web stuff because they want people to buy the book, and the DSM book is going to be published in May 2013. Um, that's what I've been reading everywhere. Right. Well, it's certainly something we'll be keeping up to date on here as well, and um, and we'll keep in touch with you about that. We thank you for coming on the program today, Temple, and talking about those um, beloved creatures that are so near and dear to us and things that um, can be helpful for our children for future careers. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You have a wonderful day, Temple, and I we will certainly have you back. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank I, you. I, I, thank you. Goodbye. I'd like to just mention before we leave today that we want to thank our sponsor again, Mayor Johnson. Um, If you're looking for the perfect guide um, for special education toys and gifts, um, learning uh, products, you want to visit their website, and that is mayerjohnson.com. Thank you so much for um, visiting us here today on the Bright Not Broken show on the Coffee Clatch. Good day.